Welcome to Raise the Anchor with host Melissa Burbridge. In this podcast, I will share the stories of individuals who have made major life-changing decisions. The purpose of this podcast is to tell their stories and inspire change within. Stick around and share their journey with me. Welcome back to the other half of Michelle's episode. We are so excited. Her story is so compelling. We can't wait to share the other half. So by the time I told my boys, I was already at that place. Um, You know, and I had had therapy ongoing off and on for all those years. And, you know, I remember one of my therapists at one point just saying to me, you know, Michelle, it's, you know, you don't get to choose if other people live or die. If someone wants to die, they will. And by you thinking you have any kind of control over it, that's actually kind of like thinking you're God. And it was like, oh, oh, (laughs) yeah, okay, (laughs) thank you. And that just, you know, was so relieving of just like, yeah, you're right. Like, I can't control somebody's life or death. Like, that's so out of my hands. And, you know, especially somebody that, that was that sick. And, and I realized, like, you know, from what I know now, like about particularly about our survival instinct and how strong it is and how many of us are like living in this fight or flight place, and, yeah. you know, and stri- but how strong it is that if somebody gets to the point where they don't have that survival instinct anymore, like, there's something wrong with their brain. It's nobody else can take that. Like, no one can change that. No, and it doesn't matter how, as sad as it says, once they're to that point, it's pretty hard to come back and train them to get away from those thoughts. Um, I did have a guest on the podcast a while ago that was ready to end everything, but he found a higher purpose. That is a rarity. And I love you, Dean Fox, if you're listening, but that is a rarity once they get to that point. Yeah, I, Um, I agree. And yeah, and it just, it depends, like with my husband, he was psychotic and there was no bringing him back from that place. He was completely out of touch with reality. But he was also in touch with reality enough to know that he loved you enough to not want to be around to do that for you to witness that. Yes. Yes. And I don't know at what point he made that decision. Yeah. But, But he was, you know he was wandering the streets all night. And like, I remember him calling me once at seven in the morning saying like, Mish, there are holes in the bottom of my shoes. I think you might need to get me new shoes. I'm like, why? And he said, well, I've just been walking around, you know, and like he had literally been walking for like 36 hours straight. He's just like, I'm just wandering the city. Like he and I was like, wow, this, this is not my life. You know, who, who is this? And, and, and a lot of things that he, you know, that he did that were so bizarre, so erratic, um, you know, things that my kids shared with me afterwards. Um, like at one point, my, so after they knew, like my older son had told me, and I guess this happened a month before my husband died. Um, but they, we were, we had gone on a family trip. We, we'd done a road trip. And he, so my husband took my, <laughs> my younger son out for a walk and apparently had offered him a cigarette. And he was like, come on, try it. And my son was like barely seven. So yeah, like 
No. That, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, so that's where it's like, you know, I don't know, did he think that was a loving thing to do? Like, but that's, that's really where he was at to think that it was okay to offer a cigarette to a seven-year-old. That must have been so scary to wake up and realize your husband's gone. Yeah, I can't remember the exact circumstances of it. Um, there were a lot of very weird things that happened on that trip. Um, that again, like I didn't, you know, it, it's only looking back afterwards. And and I only heard this story a few years ago, like literally, out, you know, when my son was 18. Yeah. So it was 11 years after it happened. So I don't remember the exact scenario of of what you know, if I knew what, you know, what I knew, but, um, yeah, that, that just blew my mind of like, wow, okay, this is, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's how sick your dad was, you know? And yeah. then, and I think that's when my son was able to reconcile it too. Cause I, I, I'm sure part of him was just like, did that even really happen? Cause like, you know, yeah. being 18, you, you know, that, you know, you're, you're starting to wonder, like, did I imagine that? Well, they must have had a lot of questions. Like, did their dad really love them? Because a huge chunk of their life, he was sick and didn't know it. Yeah. Um, It's amazing what kids will tell themselves. Um, You know, I know with, with, uh, when they, after he died and they, they did this um, group, group therapy, like, cause I mean, we tried talk therapy and they were climbing all over the furniture cause like little kids are not going to talk about their feelings and sit there. And so we did play therapy and art therapy and, and they made these memory boxes and put little notes in. And, um, my, one of my kids had put in, my dad loves to take naps, which broke my heart, but you know, I was always, you know, justifying it. So I don't know that they even went through that questioning back then because it was like, oh, daddy works so hard. So that's why he's sleeping so much. And then when he yeah. wasn't home, cause he was manic, it was like, well, dad, dad, look, he's out. He's working so hard. Like I was just, you know, one lie after another to cover it all up and make it okay that they wouldn't feel that. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, he did have moments where, um, you know, I remember he shouted at my son once, you know, that he had asked him, like he was, in the fridge going to get something for himself. We were all eating dinner. My, my husband asked him like, you know, can you go grab me the ketchup or mustard or whatever it was? And my son didn't, he was like, I don't see it. I don't think we have any dad. And, and then my husband just like flipped out at him and was just like, you know, I mean, using a lot of swear words, but are you trying to mess with my head? And who do you think I am? And, and he got super paranoid. I was like, Hey, Hey, like he's, he's six, <laughs> you know, cut him some slack. But so I'm sure there were those moments, but from what I understand, like, I don't think they have those feelings. They've never brought it up with me and we've, we've talked a lot and, you know, especially about emotions. So, yeah. So now you help others, but Mm -hmm. have you found clarity in in yourself? Oh yeah. 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 And I think that's what led me to realize that I want to help people who are going through this because I did find the way out. I, you know, found my way out of the darkness into the light. Um, and I know there is, is freedom and joy on the other side of, of this. It must, we don't have to wait till, till, you know, somebody passes. It must be like a huge weight lifted off. Yeah. Just being able to be open and honest and help others. Have you, <clears throat> sorry, I had to take off. 
So when a client comes to you, what is it like? Do you go down a path to see where they're at? Is it after somebody has killed themselves? Is it before? Is it what do um, you help people with? So I help people um, essentially. So so I, I there's a couple of things I do. So with the family members um, of somebody with with mental illness, um, you know, there there's they're usually it, you know the whole family kind of gets on that roller coaster of the episodes. And so I say, you know, the work that that I'm doing is helping the family members recognize they don't need to jump on every single time their family members having an episode. I say, you can wait at the bottom of the roller coaster waving and saying, I love you and, and be there for them, you know, in your best way. And, and so much of it is about self-care um, perspectives, you know, just knowing the way that I thought, you know, um, that I might be able to help him fix him, heal him. So many of us do that too. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's not like it's a, a cancerous tumor that we can understand. Okay. There's, there's something in my loved one's body that is growing. We think all we need to do is just talk to them, you know, and convince them how, you know, maybe if you exercise and go outside or do whatever, you'll be better. So it's shifting them away from that, leading them to, to resources that where they can educate themselves and really working with them on strengthening themselves because so many of us get let ourselves get to this depleted place where we're completely exhausted we and then we're trying to help this person who doesn't want to be helped most of the time and so i i say like take care of yourself so if you do want to be there for them which you know really all they need from you is love as long as they're getting medical help you know if if they're not by all means step in and do what you need to do trust your gut but if they're seeing doctors, they're getting treatment, your only role is to love them. And you can't love them well if you're resentful because you're exhausted and depleted. So take care of you. And then when you're showing up for them, your, your cup's full and you have what to offer. So it's a lot of work around that, um, lovingly detaching. And, and then um, I also work with individuals who have mild mental health challenges. So it could be, um, you know, depression, it could be anxiety, ADHD. Um, usually they're seeing a doctor, you know, they may or may not be on medication and I'm teaching tools. I work a lot with mindfulness. And so I teach them tools that um, help connect them like their mind and body. And so that they recognize and know, like learn certain steps to take in case they're go starting to have an episode so that they don't go as deep into it as they might otherwise if they didn't have these tools. So they find that quite effective. And then with dealing with loss, it could be any kind of loss. It's not just suicide. Um, I deal with a lot of people who are going through grief because, you know, again, one of the stories in our culture is that, you know, you need to get over it in a certain amount of time. Like, be sad, but not too sad and not for too long. And so yeah, a lot of the work that I'm doing is just kind of coaching them through accepting where they're at and then looking at, you know, where, where do you want to be, kind of guiding them through that process. But a lot of that piece is just really holding space and saying where you're at is okay. Yeah, no, that's, you have a noble job. That is a wonderful <laughs> job. It, it's a very hard job. It must be just as emotionally draining some days for you. But I guess you've learned those tools of 
self-care to make sure it doesn't, but do you have some of those cases that remind you of your husband and are fearful? Cause I know as a nurse, there was a few of those patients um, that just stuck with me that made me that extra emotional. Do you find you get those clients? I, I have clients um, who definitely have situations that remind me of what I went through. Um, and, you know, they come to me because they know I've gone through something like this. And part of the work that I do is I will share with them because, you know, there, there's this piece of just like, you know, am I crazy? Am I doing something wrong? Am I the only one? And so when they hear from me that, no, I've been through, I was in a similar situation. And so I get it. That gives them some kind of relief. So yeah. I'm very open about it. Um, and, you know, I have my own support so that I can, you know, who I can reach out to if I have, you know, a challenging experience that, you know, I'm finding it's particularly emotionally draining um, or it's triggering something that, you know, I might need to heal. So, you know, I'm very quick to go there. And I also call myself the queen of self-care because I, I know what I need to do in the days where I'm feeling lower um, or I'm feeling that, yeah, that was a challenging day, then I make sure that I'm adding in time to, to take care of myself. And it might mean having to, you know, cut out something else I was going to do, but I make sure I prioritize my self-care. No, that's very good. That's very wise. I think a lot of us who don't have to do with mental health need to learn that lesson as well. So do you work with hospitals or clinics or doctors to get people to you for training or are you just getting referrals from people? How can people find you? Yeah, it's primarily through referrals. Um, I've had people that have, you know, Googled and I've shown up and, uh, but they can find me through my website primarily, which is michelleanhangcoaching.com. And I'm also all over social media, Michelle Anhang Coaching. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. And, you know, if, if anybody feels that they need support, you know, please reach out. And, um, you know, if it's not the right fit or what they need, I'm happy to point them in a direction that can serve them better. But, you know, know, know that you're not alone in this. Yeah, no, you're definitely not alone. Um, but would you ever consider working with a hospital, like an outreach program? I would. Yeah, yeah. I've, um, you know, I. It just had the opportunity hasn't come up, but uh, I'm I'm open in whatever way I can serve. I mean, right now it's um, it's interesting because I did a presentation um, for um, the U.S. Um, essentially like the board of like overseeing all the public school systems. And now I'm getting more work dealing in the education sector. So, you know, because the teachers are under so much stress, the kids are under so much stress. So I'm starting to do work there, but I'm, I believe very much that, you know, the, the people who need to find me will find me and, you know, that, that the work it's there and, you know, I have done some outreach and it's, it's a matter of timing it funding. Like there's so many elements of it, but um, you know, I'm, I'm here ready and waiting for whoever I can serve. Well, it's a good thing that you are because it is such a needed, a needed service Mm -hmm. that a lot of people won't do, but need to do. (laughs) So I'm, I'm happy 
to have met you. Is there any piece of advice you could give to a family that has just lost somebody from suicide? Oh, yeah. Um, don't keep it a secret. That's for sure. Talk about it. Um, you know, th- there, there's the saying that secrets make us think, you know, I think oh, it's, I lost it's, you there. Oh, I lost you. Am so I back? Yeah, you're back. Okay. But that whole explanation I lost. Oh, um, yeah, there, there's a saying that secrets make us sick. And, and it's really true. So, you know, talk about it, be open about it, know that it's not your fault and seek support right away. Um, yeah, this is not something that anybody could or should do alone. And, and there are many people out there who want to help. And can you give any advice for a family member starting down that path of knowing that something is wrong with their loved one and they need to help? Who should they seek and is it you? Oh, I lost you. Can you hear me? Now I can. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't know why. My Wi-Fi is looking okay, but it's deceptive. Um, I think that that answer differs for everybody in their situation. I think, um, you know, a great place to start is go and see your doctor and let them know what's going on so that they're aware that if your health isn't great, this is why. Um, they can also lead you to supports, um, you know, if it's, if it's therapy, if it's coaching, it really depends. Um, you know, there are different, different people that can help their group supports, organizations. Um, but, the, you know, the, the key is reach out. We, we need as many people, you know, it, it takes a village. Maybe it takes, you know, an entire country <laughs> at times <laughs> to, to help. But, you know, this is something big. Don't just sweep it under the rug and, and think you can deal with it on your own. Like, get the supports. And, and be, be discerning with who you reach out to as well. I, I say that um, because sometimes we'll reach out to people who are closest to us that we kind of think, well, they should be helping or they should be able to help, but not all people are able to, not, not all people um, understand mental illness, um, you know, are willing to deal with it, whether it's, you know, they're, they have their own stuff that they're hiding or they're just not educated or not open-minded. So you don't want to be reaching out to those people that might not be able to give you that kind of support. So, you know, when, when you're lo- thinking about like, okay, who are the, are the friends that I can share this with and, and lean on, think of the friends who are open-minded, who are able to show up. Maybe they have gone through their own experience with it, but you know, you don't want the closed minded like, you know, or just, you know, I think about sometimes like the older generation, they just, unless, you know, they've been educated or have had an experience that, that's woken them up to it, they don't have the same idea or understanding of it. So they might not be the best help. I so, couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. I know a lot of the older generation is, oh, well, just right. go on. Do something yeah. else. Yeah. And that can be so detrimental to somebody who's suffering from mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Nope, that's good. Um, so what projects do you have coming up to get the word out more? Well, I'm doing a lot of a lot of podcast interviews, a lot of presentations. Um, I I do a course as well, um, mindfulness training for emotional resilience, 
And so just really putting it out there on social media, um, offering my courses, which, you know, do sometimes lead to one-on-one work uh, when people want to go deeper. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful for all the podcasters like yourself who <laughs> have invited me on and, um, and I, I'm doing a couple of conferences and summits as well. And are, have those changed because of COVID? Are they now going to be virtual or are you doing them in person? They're all virtual. Yeah. So, I mean, COVID, yeah, is not great. However, it's definitely, you know, given me more opportunities than I otherwise would have because, you know, particularly. Oh, I lost you again. Okay. Hang on. No, I lost you that whole thing. Oh, okay. I'm going to just switch because I know we're wrapping up and I don't want this to take longer than it should. We actually did a lot better than I thought we would. Yeah. Uh, All right. I may just have to say that quickly and, oh, here we are. Found it. Okay. Are you there? I'm here. Okay. Can you hear I, me? I can hear you. I can't see you moving, so that's okay. Yeah, the screen's frozen, but I've just switched to the hotspot on my phone, so okay. we will not get cut off again. Oh, I know the camera's back. Just okay. took a moment. Oh, yeah, no, so I only have... My internet is unstable. Yeah, mine, mine has been unstable for a few weeks, so I get that. <laughs> okay. I'll just um, we'll keep going. <laughs> so yeah, I just needed to answer that question. Then I have two more. Then I'll stop the recording, and I just have two personal questions. So <laughs> um, okay. Um, so what was the question again? Um, we had asked about uh, if the conferences are in person or virtual, and you ah, right, yeah. right. Um, yeah. So all the conferences are virtual um, due to due to COVID. Um, but you know, while, while there, there, you know, a lot of not great things about COVID have happened. One of the good things is that I'm getting a lot of work in the U S that I would not have otherwise had, you know, because of traveling and and in-person things. So now, you know, my, my reach is, is greater. I'm able to speak to a larger audience, which, you know, is very rewarding for me. And I think we need, uh, your teaching more now than ever, especially, with COVID and people losing work and their businesses and some of their livelihoods that suicide is one of the things that sometimes comes out more in something like this. So I'm happy you're getting that word out. I'm not happy you're busy. I'm happy you're getting the word out to more people. Um, I I agree. Yeah. (laughs) Who motivates you? Who motivates me? Oh, that's such a good question. (laughs) <laughs> my kids motivate me the most, I think. Yeah. They they have become my biggest cheerleaders and and it's cool because they they actually brag about me sometimes and it's like, wow. <laughs> That's, you know, talk about role reversal and um, you know, just seeing seeing how proud they are of of who I am today. Um you know, really definitely motivates me to want to do more. Um, my clients motivate me. My clients are amazing 
brilliant, beautiful people who, you know, also are just, you know, so motivated to have a better life and, and to do well and, and be at peace. And so, yeah, uh, so many, so many people. I'm, I'm blessed that I have many people who motivate me. <laughs> well, I can't blame your children for, for being inspired by you. The change that you've done in such a tragic time is just so beautiful. I'm so happy that you're helping others come out of that or prevent that. Thank so, you. You're welcome. So who inspires you? I know they motivate you, but who actually inspires you? Who inspires me? I have a number of friends who have become friends well, through different areas of, of my life that are just doing amazing, amazing things. Like, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess we could look at famous people, but I think I have, I'm so blessed that there are people in my that um, are all, you know, on their own missions, following their own passions, and, and I'm seeing what they're doing and lifts me up, you know, and, and you know, I work with a couple of different coaches, you know, I've got different coaches for different things. And <laughs> so, you know, and just seeing what they're doing, but it's, it's constantly growing. And again, you know, uh, I'm going to bring it back to you podcasters, like, you know, <laughs> you guys are doing amazing things in the world, like just oh. bringing well, us guests on the show. You know, I'm, you. I'm inspired by so many of you. Ah, uh, why? My Wi-Fi is okay now. It might be mine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I gotta let you take the blame for this one because I'm like, I'm showing fine here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think mine just started to crap out. So, <laughs> oh no, it's catchy. Ah, <laughs> I think okay. I enough. I think I got enough. I can jumble that one together. Okay, cool. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Raise the Anchor. And subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss the next episode. Don't forget to rate this episode as well. I'm Melissa Burbridge, wishing you smooth sailing.